We'll give you a couple of announcements. First announcement is our Grow 501 class. It's a class that we kind of talk about um, reaching the world and learning a little bit about world missions and things of that nature. It's a great class. You might want to look into that on, online or there's sign-ups out in the patio. And uh, our second announcement is primetime lunch. If you're a post-college single adult, we have a luncheon for you after the third service, after the 1130 service. It's going to be rocking. We have a lot of people coming out. It will be held at Chapel One. Um, and for those of you who, right after this service, we have a first lunch. If you're somewhat new to our church, uh, talk to one of the people in the teal shirts, and they'll help you out. Well, um, you know, uh, if you search... Uh, for the world's deadliest pandemic diseases, one of the diseases that you will discover is a disease not that long ago. And for those of you who are a little bit older, and especially if you were in the uh, healthcare profession uh, some 15 years ago, you know that uh, the most scary thing that medical professionals had to deal with is uh, the, the disease of HIV or AIDS, right? It hit its peak around 2005, 2012, uh, and it ended up killing more than 36 million people at its height. Even with the medical technology advances that the United States had, it was AIDS was killing, um, or AIDS-related disease was killing more than 40,000 people annually. Um, many of you know that one of the most dominant point guards that the Lakers have ever had was a player by the name of Irvin Johnson, Magic Johnson. It was in a, uh, and people still consider him one of the you know, top five players in all of NBA history. And what surprised a lot of Laker fans is that Irvin Johnson suddenly uh, announced that he was retiring from the NBA. And what we discovered a few days later was the reason why he was retiring was because he uh, found out that he had contracted HIV, uh, the human um, immunodeficiencies virus. And back then, it was a frightening disease in which we didn't quite fully understand how it was transmitted and such. Uh, we, we did understand that it can transmit uh, via open wounds. And so um, if a player had blood on his arm and he made contact with another player with an open wound, theoretically that AIDS virus could, or HIV virus can be transmitted to the opposing player. And so um, uh, Irvin Johnson, although he had a lot of friends in the NBA and was you know, immensely popular, uh, some players were afraid of playing um, against him or in, on, on the same court with him um, because they, they were afraid of, of catching HIV. It was a frightening disease because there was no medical cure and there still is no medical cure for HIV and the mortality rate at that time was nearly 100%. Our passage for today is going to describe another pandemic disease and it is more insidious, more deadly than AIDS, uh, more, uh, deadlier, uh, more deadly than the bubonic plague or Ebola or any other uh, disease that humanity has ever encountered. And I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And today's message, and, and I feel like I say this quite often now, we're, that we're in the book of Romans because it is such a, a deep, heavy book. And today, uh, I'm going to try to talk fast, and I'm just going to give you a lot of depth of knowledge, um, and, and I trust that most of you will be able to keep up 
Um, a lot of things you already know, a lot of things that you think you know, but you didn't quite know. Um, and so let me read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 from the ESV version. A lot of it is going to feel repetitive. Um, and so there's some nuances that kind of like, huh, what was that? Uh, but let me read for us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's um, obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and these words are heavy and dense, and we don't understand all of them. But Lord, we, may we bow, uh, bend our knees um, in, in our heart uh, to be obedient, to have our minds engaged in, in the truth of God that matters to us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, the author is trying to uh, communicate that um, all of us are under this immense global pandemic disease, but there is a hope uh, brought by a second man. And, and the outline goes something like this, the first sinner and, and sick humanity, and the first sinner and the final savior in the middle. I will have some clarifying questions that I will answer. First, the first sinner and sick humanity, uh, verse, three, uh, verse 12, makes three propositions. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time just on this one verse, so you might want to look at it with me. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. The first proposition is this. Sin entered through humanity through the first sinner. Sin entered through um, humanity through the first sinner. If you think about sin um, as a disease, um, the, in epidemiological term, there was a patient zero. There was a first person who contracted this disease and passed it on to subsequent uh, people in that population. In this particular case, patient zero, zero is not a Canadian flight attendant who uh, had uh, pr unprotected pr uh, sex with multiple partners, nor is it an unnamed and unknown person from uh, Central Africa who handled the carcass of a primate and, and potentially uh, tr um, transferred uh, the disease from primate to the human beings. But we know that the patient zero here uh, was the very first 
a man and his co-conspirator Eve. And theologians call their particular sin uh, the original sin. The second proposition that this verse makes is that death entered humanity through sin. Again, if I can use the language of uh, medicine, we can say that the virus was uh, sin and the outcome is death. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Sin is fatal for every single person who contracts it. There is no exception. And when you look at the language of Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we, we hear that death is uh, physical for you are dust and to dust you shall return. But beyond physical death, death causes, uh, sin causes spiritual death. Uh, Adam and Eve were separated from God for having defied God and having asserted independence from him. They were driven from the garden. Uh, and there was a, a now, from that on, uh, point on, a separation between a sin-filled, sin-infected humanity and a holy God. The third proposition is this, death spread to all humanity. Death spread to all humanity. Again, now, if you look at uh, sin as a disease, it spread and it infected all of humanity. It has become a global pandemic uh, condition. It is not like a virus in which someone catches it, but rather um, it is spread through um, uh, birth. And Adam and Eve were patient, patient zeros and their children and their children afterwards inherited the condition called uh, sin. And that is why in Psalm 51, the psalmist uh, says that I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. The psalmist says I was born as a sinner. And in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says we were by nature children of wrath. And verse 14 says that death reigned from uh, Adam to Moses. Uh, death permeated all of humanity throughout history. Now, let me ask you a question now. Uh, now that was pretty fast. Verse 12, it, it, um, Paul gave three propositions, okay? Uh, now, now, the question that we need to ask is, is this true? Uh, we can't necessarily go back and, uh, and examine whether there was a historical person by the name of Adam um, and, and Eve and, and there was a garden and all that, but it, are the propositions true? Uh, is what they are asserting true? Uh, namely, does sin act, actually reign? Does death reign and is this true for every human being? Does sin reign? Do you observe in people of having in an inherent propensity for selfishness and independence. Do you have to teach children to be good or do you have to teach children to be bad? Uh, you know, like those of you who raise kids, did they already know how to be bad? And do you have to almost teach them to be good? Um, when you observe society, when there is no law, do people become lawless? Uh, when you give people um, unhindered power and no consequences of power, do they become corrupt? The second question, does death reign? Do you observe as you look at others that death is inevitable, that physical death is inevitable for those around you? And even before physical death, do you uh, observe that there seems to be a brokenness uh, a separation between God and humanity. 
that humanity, uh, there seems to be something wrong. It, wasn't, it doesn't seem like it was supposed to be designed this way. And those two uh, propositions were somewhat easy for us to answer. But the third proposition is this, is this true for every human being? Now, uh, Romans 5.12 is asserting that patient zero or, or the, the original uh, Adam and Eve, the human beings, and every subsequent human being ha has then subsequently inherited that sin nature gene. So the question is, is sin and death true, not uh, only for a certain segment of society or race of people or a geography of people, but is it true for every human being that you've ever met, that have ever existed? Or do we find it true, to be true only in certain races, ethnic groups, and geographies? But I, I don't know about you, but what I observe in hu human beings is that sin and death has spread to every single human being in the world, regardless of gender, age, race, class, education, religion, political party, sexual preferences, and so on. You and I may think that I am less of a sinner than others, that I am less prone to death than others, but we are all part of this uh, human race in having inherited our sin nature. And you know, you don't have to look very far. You don't have to look across political parties or beyond uh, borders. If you ever want to uh, question whether human beings are sinful, next time you get up in the morning, go in front of the mirror and look at the mirror and ask yourself, is this person that I'm looking at uh, selfish and sinful by nature? Is this person that I'm looking at inherently selfish and sinful? And I, I think if you're honest, you would say yes. You know, there's a story told uh, by St. Augustine, um, and he's a well-known thinker in our Christian history. He says, um, and this is something that he wrote about some 1,500 years ago, he wasn't raised in a Christian home, and in fact, he had a group of friends. It was kind of a little uh, group of punks and, you know, little gangsters, and uh, they even had a Latin name for their own little group. They called the Destructors. One night, this gang, they were playing sports in their neighborhood, and they were walking home, and they noticed a tree with some pears on it. Uh, the problem was that this pear, uh, pear tree was in someone else's property. And you know, the, the pears weren't a, a particularly attractive, nor were they hungry, but they decided to go into someone else's property, uh, steal some pears, take it home, and because they weren't hungry and these pears didn't look all that appetizing, they actually just gave it to their uh, hogs. But St. Augustine said something that, that, he, that kind of um, revealed his own heart. And he said that we love doing it. Although he was there, it wasn't hungry and it didn't look appetizing, the reason they stole these pears is because he loved doing it because it was forbidden. Simply because it was forbidden. Is it true that sin reigns, death reigns, and it is true for all I don't know about you, but my conclusion seems to be is absolutely yes. Now, let's go to some clarifying question. And uh, this is, um, you know, if you, if you are in class and, and the professor gives you extra credit work, these are extra credit works, right? And so those of you who are overachievers, um, and, you know, when your teacher gives you extra credit, you, you know, it's like, oh, good, now I can raise my 
great from B to an A, and those of you who are A students, now I can just cement that A and just try to be the top in my class regardless, right? So these next clarifying questions are the extra credit uh, questions, but it will help us to understand the flow of thought and, and answer some nagging questions uh, that the average person wouldn't ask, but I know a lot of you because you're just so brilliant, you will ask, all right? The first clarifying question is this, how did humanity sin with Adam? How did humanity sin with Adam? Look at verse 12 again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sins, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Okay, what does this mean? Because all sinned. Now, some believe that what uh, Paul is talking about is that uh, all were imitating uh, Adam, that we sinned like Adam and sin. And in some ways, this is true. All subsequent uh, people sin in the same way or similarly to Adam. That each person repeated the actions of the first uh, patient zero and have become sinners. But uh, um, many commentators, uh, reputable commentators, believe that this is not necessarily the thing that Paul is trying to communicate in this particular verse. Uh, one of the reasons is because the, the tense of the verb is an error, uh, implying it was a one-time past action, not a repeated action by every single subsequent human beings. And so uh, many commentators believe it is not that we are imitating uh, Adam, but rather we are participating with Adam. That's in some way we sinned alongside of Adam and Eve in the original sin. That Adam was our representative. And as our representative, his actions made it as if we were participating with him. In a basketball game, when there's a technical foul on the other team, uh, uh, your team gets to send a representative, oftentimes your best free throw shooter, to get on the line and shoot as a representative of your team. And if he makes it, it's a point for your team. And if he misses, it's a missed opportunity for your team. Tim Keller calls this concept the federal headship. When, a, when the actions of one person, as he represents you or champions you, impacts uh, the whole group or sets the destiny for the whole group. And that as a group, we are held culpable or liable to the actions of that one representative or champion. Now, uh, the uh, a lot of people, especially in America, have a problem with this because, well, it's okay if we chose a representative to go on the free throw line, but if we did not have a conscious choice, how is it that we are held liable for the actions of a representative or a champion? But this is such an important concept, especially in this passage, so uh, let me explain it to you uh, from a personal example. Now, when I was growing up um, as a child, you know, I was not cognizant of the fact that I had Asian eyes. I was not cognizant of the fact that I had black hair because, well, everyone had jet black hair, at least back then. Okay? Um, you know, and um, it's, it's interesting, just a few months ago, uh, I, I, not that long ago, I, just, I, thought, I thought that every Korean... Uh, uh, had jet black hair 
and that somehow genetically something happened and then and Koreans started having brownish reddish hair and um, just a, a few years ago I'm not kidding uh, my uh, girls had to explain to me no no all those hairs that you're seeing are dyed or colored I said no <laughs> no no I said really and then we went to a Korean restaurant and I was looking around at all the server and I was like you mean, you mean she dyed her hair? Yes, yes. You mean, you mean that red hair? That's not, that's not natural. No, that's not. And it just blew my mind, okay? But I grew up um, uh, in a culture in which everyone had jet black hair, everyone had Asian eyes, everyone spoke the same language. I was not cognizant of the fact that I was Korean. But not by my choice, but the, because of the decision of uh, the adults in our family, we immigrated to America. And as soon as I arrived in America, I realized that I was a minority, that my um, hair color is different from many others. My eyes were different than many others, and my language was different than uh, everyone else, that I was a minority in this country. And to be honest with you, there were times I remember in junior high school, especially in, in upper elementary, I resented the fact that my parents brought me to America, that you know I was fine in Korea, but why did you make me a minority in this country? That's the concept of federal headship, the decisions, the actions of another who represents your family impacts the destiny of the whole family. How did humanity sin with Adam? We participated with him as he was our representative, our champion. Now let me go to the second extra credit question. How are the sins of the unknowing counted? It's not a misspelling, uh, not the unknown, but the unknowing counted. This is from verse 20 and verse 13. Look at verse 20, first of all. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And this is kind of confusing, let me explain. According to this verse, some, the law somehow makes sin worse. And the law also makes forgiveness all the more gracious. Now, Romans 2.15 says that humanity has the work of the law uh, written in their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even uh, excuse them, meaning uh, that Bible, uh, the, the book of Romans has been arguing that humanity has in them an inherent knowledge of God and an inherent knowledge of good and, uh, and evil, and that our conscience is working in us. And so uh, we intuitively were born with the knowledge that murdering someone is wrong. That when we do so, we're violating some sort of a universal moral law. But when the uh, law came and the law told us, thou shalt not kill, not only then did we understand that murdering someone violates a, uh, an unwritten moral law, but murdering someone is a defiance against that uh, moral lawgiver God. So when someone who has a knowledge of the law murders, we then are doubly sinning because we violate our conscience and we defy God. Does that make sense? Right? And when uh, someone who has a knowledge of the law then um, is forgiven. He is doubly uh, being 
blessed. And so one of the reasons why the law was given to us uh, is to uh, confirm what's in our, in our hearts and to, uh, to condemn us uh, of the things that we already know are true. Now, let's continue. Let's look at verse 13, though. For, indeed, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, what happens to individuals who do not have the law where, where, where there is no law? Because so far, Paul has been saying in the book of Romans, uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that the work of the law was written in our hearts, but man chose to suppress the law that was in our hearts. Okay? But what does it mean when Paul says that the, uh, there is no law for certain people? What if there are people who are not able to know the law nor suppress the law? They do not have the capacity to do so. Namely, what happens to the unborn, the infants, and the mentally challenged who do not have the capacity to know the law or to suppress the law because they just are unable to. Now, uh, this might be a question that, that you've had before, and, and Romans uh, 5 deals with it a little bit. Now, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, something interesting happens. If you kind of know a biblical history, the, the Hebrew people had um, uh, escaped Egypt, and they were going to go into the land of Israel or the land of Canaan, uh, but they rebelled against God. Okay? And, and God uh, is speaking to them through Moses, and he says, you know what? You disobeyed me, you defied me, and so as a punishment, you will not go into the land of Canaan, uh, Canaan but you will die in the wilderness. But in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse uh, 39, it says that the children are exempt from the punishment because they uh, quote-unquote, have no knowledge of good and evil. He did not, God did not hold the children accountable uh, for wrong because they did not have the capacity to know nor suppress uh, the command of God. So, uh, I believe what Romans 5.13 is trying to say to us is uh, when it says that sin is not counted where there is no law, that the unborn, the infants, and the mentally challenged will somehow be uh, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ in a way that we cannot quite understand. So that's the second extra credit question that was answered for you. Now, the third extra credit question that we're going to deal with is this question, how is Adam a type of Christ? How is Adam a type of Christ? Verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. What does it mean that Adam was a type of the one who was supposed to come and the one who is coming is Jesus Christ? So what does it mean that Adam was a type of Jesus? Okay. The NIV calls him a pattern. He was an example of foreshadowing, of uh, prefiguring. Sometimes when we want to explain something so big, so complex, so wonderful, we have to use something else that we can understand that's a little bit more tangible. Okay? Uh, let me give you an example. Do you know who the most dominant pitcher in uh, National League Baseball is right now? Anyone take a guess? Who has the lowest ERA among the NLB? 
It is, I, I think I heard it somewhere. Hyunjin Ru, right? Where you go? The right answer, right? Your dad will give you candy afterwards. All right. Um, he has like, I believe, 1.47 uh, ERA. Um, well, you know, the second lowest is like over two. Um, he, he's just dominant right now, right? But for a lot of you people who don't uh, really follow baseball, who don't know the Dodgers, and you say, wow, is that true? An Asian American is a, the most dominant uh, major league uh, baseball pitcher? That's amazing. I want to know a little bit more about Hyunjin Ryu. What does he look like? And you know what I can say to you? You don't even have to Google Hyunjin Ryu. Next time you see Robbie Jung lead praise, he's not here today, but next time you see Robbie, just think that he looks just like the most dominant pitcher in base. I'm not, when I watch the Dodgers, when I see Hyunjin Ryu do a press conference, it's kind of eerie. It's kind of like Robbie up there. Uh, like, what happened to your English? Come on, Robbie, let's. Let's go, you know? And, and they're kind of built similarly too. Robbie was telling me one time that um, he went to a, um, a, a spring game um, uh, locally and he was wearing a Hyunjin Ryu um, uniform and the people just kept staring at him, you know? <laughs> like, why is he sitting in the, the stands? Um, a pattern, a type uh, gives us a picture, an image of, of something more complex that we can't fully understand, but he, we, he, we get this in order to better understand the aspect of the thing that we are trying to explain. Okay, now let's go on. Uh, the first sinner and the final savior. The first sinner and the final savior. I believe that the reason why Paul is trying to explain Adam to us is so that we can better understand Christ. And so he does so by comparing them and contrasting them. Uh, first of all, the work of Christ is compared to the work of Adam. The reason why Adam is a type of Christ, a pattern for Christ, and what he's trying to uh, have us to understand is this, that the act of one person impacts the many, that Adam was a representative, and in the same way, Jesus was a representative or a champion. Verse 18, it says, The trespass of Adam led to the condemnation of humanity in a similar manner. The righteous act of Christ leads to justification for humanity. Verse 19, The disobedience of the one caused everyone to become sinners in a similar manner. The obedience of the one, uh, um, of the one will cause many to be righteous. In verse 21, The sin of Adam brought about the death to all. In a similar manner, the grace of Jesus leads, leads to eternal life. Now, we talked about how there is a champion or representative. Now, some of you may think, you know, that's just not fair. I would rather, some of you may think, I would rather be held accountable by, to my own actions and my own action alone. I don't want to be held culpable because of what someone else did. If I can detach myself from Adam's tribe, I would rather do so. But listen carefully. If you want your destiny set by uh, only that which you do, then you have to be confident in that you can actually live a life that achieves the glory of God. That, you, that if you had the same temptation of Adam, that you would not fall. That you would um, never violate the, the law that was given to your own conscience or the expressed law. I don't know about you, but for me, I know 
I know that if my destiny was dependent upon my actions, that I, I, would, be, uh, I, I, I would be separated from God. But rather, if I can have a champion, someone to go before me, to live a life, to, uh, to represent me in a way that I could not, I would welcome that. And John Piper says that the judicial consequences of Christ's righteousness are experienced by all his people, not on the basis of their doing righteous deeds like he did, but on the basis of their being in him and, in, and his righteousness being imputed to them. That is a very complicated way of saying that uh, the good things that Jesus did, the sacrifice that he made um, is given to us when we did not deserve it. Uh, and their work is not only compared but contrasted. Verse 15, the motivation of the heart was different. Adam was driven by selfishness while Christ was driven by self-sacrifice. It was an ultimate act of love uh, and compassion for those who did not deserve it. Verse 16, the result of Adam's deeds brought condemnation. Uh, humanity was ruined and every human being thereafter were not only was born a sinner but participated in that original sin but also perpetuated that sin. But the free gift was uh, was given by uh, Jesus uh, and brought justification in a way that we received something that we did not uh, participate in or deserve. And verse 17, uh, the final way in which they're different is because um, uh, what Adam did brought death, but what Christ did uh, brought uh, life, hope, and reconciliation. You know, the whole point of this passage is to show that although Christ was like Adam, but he was so radically different, he was so much more to the degree different from Adam. You see, for Adam, uh, only pay the penalty of his sins um, and suffer uh, potentially his sins, but, uh, but Jesus suffered uh, the sins of many, many, many. You know, I, I, uh, medically speaking, HIV doesn't kill uh, human immunodeficiency uh, virus. What it does is it attacks the immune system so that, you, that your body cannot fight off uh, the, the most uh, innocuous infections. And so um, viruses out there, infections out there that for most people would, would do really very little harm for those who have the HIV virus in them uh, can become fatal. One of those particular um, AIDS-related disease uh, is called Kaposi's sarcoma. It's a type of a cancer. It's relatively harm harmless to you and me, but for those with the HIV virus, it can be deadly. Now, medical technology is progressing uh, very much so, so that it's not as uh, deadly as before. But back when it was, uh, when we were fighting AIDS in a deadly manner, it, it was an extremely uh, scary thing. Uh, sarcoma, or KS, shows up early as red or purple patches on the skin. As it progresses, it attacks the mouth, lungs, liver, and the digestive system, affecting breathing and digestion and such. And because of the infectious nature of HIV and, and because people were so fearful of catching it that people didn't want to touch, physically touch anyone with HIV, uh, that had blown into AIDS. And so for those who had contracted HIV, it was a scary, isolating death sentence. 
And within a matter of about three years or so, people were just slowly dying of it. Um, this particular picture is out of uh, David Kirby. If I can um, yeah, show the picture. And, this, um, and he, uh, this particular picture came out in Life magazine and he became almost the face of the death of AIDS, death by AIDS. And you can see in the picture the emaciated body and face and the darkening of the arms and such. If you see uh, uh, David Kirby in his more, you know, more healthy uh, manner, he was a good-looking young man. And you can see how this particular illness had just taken a toll on him. You know, the, uh, back then, the church responded to the problem of AIDS as saying that it was a, a, um, almost a, a sinful disease, a punishment by God. And I believe the church made a, a fatal mistake by saying that that particular fallenness was a punishment while the rest of us aren't as culpable that we were uh, more blessed in some way. In the New Testament time, an illness similar to AIDS was called leprosy. It was an isolating disease, and those who had leprosy were forced to live outside the city boundaries. And in fact, when they came into contact with other human beings, they had to, by their culture, by their standards, by their laws, uh, yell out, unclean, unclean, I'm contagious, I'm contagious, don't come near me. In one particular encounter, Jesus, in Matthew 8, meets a leprous man. And unlike the rest of the culture, he went up to the man and he touched him and healed him. He could have just healed him by a word. He could have healed him by a command, but he touched him to say, yes, you are unclean, but so is the rest of all of humanity. Let me touch you. Let me say that you are loved beyond your condition. I want you to understand that Jesus' touch to that leprous man meant more than just healing of that leprosy. It means that the years of suffering that, and the lifetime uh, of suffering that leper may have had, Jesus is saying by his touch, all the suffering, let me take it upon you and let me suffer. The death that you will die through leprosy or AIDS or whatever condition that you may have, let me take it and let me die a thousand deaths. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? As we, as we are on our deathbed, as our, our parents are on their, their deathbed, that Jesus comes by us and he holds us by the hand. And he says, your suffering, your death, let me bear it on my body on the cross. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus is saying to us today. The band is going to come up and the elders are going to come up. The staff is going to come up. And because we have a propensity to continue to, uh, to forget, and Jesus uh, gives us a command to get with other people, uh, our, our spiritual body of the church. And he passes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you so that your bro broken bodies will be healed. This is, uh, as he passes the cup, he says, this is my blood uh, poured out for you. 
so that your, uh, you may be healed and, and you may be uh, rescued from death. And because we have a propensity to forget, he said, I want you to do this on a regular basis as often as you gather together uh, in remembrance of me. As the band begins the song, it will be an invitation for uh, those, who, who, those of you who profess your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not, uh, never done so, I would ask you to just observe and, and, and perhaps talk to one of the people sitting around you that God loves you more than you deserve.